Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Matt Eddy. Matt, at long last, the baseball season is upon us. Mandatory reporting date was yesterday, July 1st. Formal workouts begin tomorrow, July 3rd. Obviously, there's a lot to overcome. The coronavirus is surging in a lot of places in the South and the West. MLB has some very, very strict protocols in place in terms of who can even get into the stadium and all the tests you have to pass just to be able to do that. But they're going to give it a shot. I know we're all hopeful that MLB can get a full season in, both for what that would mean for where the country is as a whole, as well as baseball and uh, every one of us that loves the game. Matt, there's a lot of changes for this upcoming season, all for the most part because of the coronavirus and how MLB has had to adjust and some of the rules changes they've put in place in response to that. The main one is the designated hitter being put into the National League. And it's interesting to note that this was not a change that was agreed upon as part of the March agreement between MLB and the MLBPA. This was part of the health and safety protocols. They put this in. We're going to have the DH in the National League. Some players are going to benefit from this. I know a lot of fans are angry about it. But for a lot of young hitters in the National League, this means they have a better chance at getting at bats, whether it means they become the DH themselves or older players who were at their positions, slide into the DH role, and they start getting everyday playing time in the field. There's three players in particular that I highlighted uh, back in May when this was first being talked about, and three players that we all feel very strongly will benefit from this the most. Dominic Smith with the Mets, Josh Naylor with the Padres, Ian Happ with the Cubs. Matt, when you assess these guys, starting with Dominic Smith first and foremost, how big of a boost do we really see these guys getting and what will it mean both in terms of MLB production and for the fantasy players out there? Yeah, I mean, I would say up top, the DH is huge. Just in a full season, that creates 9,000 plate advances for National League position players to take advantage of, to build value. And I think a large share of them will go to the players you just mentioned. Um, you know, Dominic Smith has a lot of competition. And the Mets with, with Pete Alonso at first, with Joanna Cespedes with uh, J.D. Davis, all kind of fitting left field DH profiles. Smith is, is going to have to hit to carve out a lot of playing time, but I think he showed us in flashes last year what he's capable of. Um, I, the, one of the player I like the best of this group is actually Ian Happ with the Cubs. You know, he slugged 600 last year from in, July, in, in August and September, rather. Um, his batted ball data is very strong uh, on StatCast, and I expect him to be a a major contributor to the Cubs offense this year. And um, you're the Josh Naylor expert, so I'm going to turn it over to you to outline how he impacts the Padres. I mean, the short version is he has a tremendously powerful left-handed bat who can you know, change games with one swing, but he's a liability in the outfield. Everyone who watched him last year could see that. Um, he's a bigger guy. You know, Putting him in the outfield was always going to be – at best, you were hoping he could get to a Kyle Schwarber level, which, again, is not very good. And there's a real chance it was going to be more Jack Cust-ish, where you just can't do it. Um, and with him, you know, the addition of the DH means he has a chance to get every day at bats. And especially for a Potters lineup that leans very right-handed. Now, they worked to address that this offseason. They brought in Trent Grisham. Um, you know, you hope Franchi Cordero can can stay healthy, Jerks and Profar is a switch hitter. So they did some things to try and address that. But 
getting Josh Naylor's bat in the lineup every day, you know, that gives them a chance to have an impact left-handed hitter, which they haven't really had. They thought they were going to get that when they signed Eric Hosmer. It has not happened. Um, but there's still a lot of competition, right? You have Cordero, you have Grisham, brought in Tommy Pham in a trade. Will Myers is still around. There's a lot of different guys that they can rotate through the outfield and the DH spot. But I do think this means that, you know, the Padres can get the best of Josh Naylor without the risks of putting him in the outfield and just let him focus on what he does best, which is mash. And what's startling to me is that the Padres recently traded a DH candidate, Brad Mill Reyes, you know, so they now, but he bats right-handed. So the point you make about Naylor's batting hand is a good one. I think that really would help the Padres lineup. Yeah, and, you know, if they knew that the DH was coming, do they make that trade? Uh, maybe, possibly. It definitely changes the dynamic a little bit. And, and there were whispers that the DH was going to come in probably sure. after the, for the next collective bargain agreement after 2021. But there's a difference between holding on to a guy for two more years and really only, you know, half the season. I want to circle back to Ian Happ, though, because this is the guy to me that, that I find most fascinating with all this. He got sent down to AAA to start last year and was not happy about it. He was understandably very vocal about it. But after going through it and coming back up, he was really, really good for the Cubs once they called him up in late July. And the other thing with him is he's been kind of forced into this utility role from his debut. Hey, you're going to play second today, left today, center today. Never able to get comfortable in a spot. And I'm a big believer in a young player bringing a guy up, let him playing his natural position so he can get comfortable and just focus on hitting. Ian Happ has never had that chance. He's been moved around, inconsistent playing time, different spots, not knowing where he's going to be any given day from day one. And I, and I think that's done him a disservice. And again, it's not a criticism of the Cubs. They have a tremendous amount of position player depth, and they have a lot of guys they have to get playing time to. I think the addition of the DH is going to benefit Ian Happ more than anyone else because – Kyle Schwarber is now going to be the primary DH for the Cubs. Other guys will move in and out, but they can put Kyle Schwarber at DH and just let him do what he does, which is mash and not have to worry about his defense. Ian Happ, the position he played the most last year was left field, which voila was Kyle Schwarber's position. This is a very simple swap. Schwarber's the DH. Ian Happ, you're everyday left fielder. Now he gets consistent everyday playing time. He's not being yanked around all over the diamond to center, to right, to second, to left. He can play one position, focus on hitting. I would not be surprised to see Ian Happ have a breakout year this year. I'm talking about a, a 280, you know, if it, if, it, if it was a normal season, something on the line of, you know, 280 with 25 to 30 bombs as a switch hitter, which makes you an offensive force. Also, those numbers are going to be prorated a little bit, and he still has to hold the improvements he made in terms of making contact. The, the strikeout rate was way too high before he went down to AAA last year. But this yeah. is a guy I think that potentially could explode from this rule change. Yeah. Um, and don't overlook J.D. Davis with the Mets for similar reasons. This guy really, really is a good hitter. And we saw that when he was an Astros farmhand, and he proved it last year when he got playing time in the second half. The ultimate question with the Mets for me, Yoan Cespedes, when he's been healthy, he's been one of the most impactful hitters in Major League Baseball from the moment he came over from Cuba. But staying healthy has been an issue. He uh, had the wild boar incident that has cost him most <laughs> in the last two years, um, as well as a number of other issues. 
Yeah. I'll say this. The Mets have a – it's a really good problem for the Mets to have with J.D. Davis, Yohan Cespedes, and, and Dominic Smith. I wrote about it last spring training. This was the best I've seen Dominic Smith look. You could see it physically. You could see it on the field. Even in spring training, he went out and had a great year. It was interrupted by a foot injury. Uh, he came back at the end of the year and homered in his final at-bat in rather dramatic fashion, which was pretty cool to see. The Mets have a lot of options here, and, and I'm going to be really curious to see how they sort it out. In my head, I feel like it would be Davis as the primary in left field with Cespedes and, and Smith kind of DHing and, and mixing in and out. But you also have, you know, Jeff McNeil has seen time in the outfield. They have a lot of different moving pieces. It almost feels a little bit like a Dodger situation where they have a couple guys who can play the infield, play the outfield, move around to DH. and It's going to be a lot of moving puzzle pieces. Yeah, and that's <laughs> – what's interesting is that when J.D. Davis is your most qualified defensive left fielder, I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about Cespedes and Smith out there. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree Davis should play every day, and that probably will be left field. And, again, you know, Jeff McNeil was out there last year. He wasn't terrible in left. Um, again, the right, but, was a little more natural but, for him, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Todd Frazier being gone this year is going to help McNeil quite a bit. Yeah, no question about it. I, I will be really curious to see, you know, these three guys. They are the three that I think are going to benefit for the most from this. But one other player that I think is not getting enough discussion in this regard is Kevin Crone. I think a lot of people saw the Diamondbacks and the addition of the DH and said, oh, Seth Beer has a path to playing now. Kevin Crone led the minor leagues in home runs last year despite not even playing 90 games. Very quietly went up to the majors last year and hit six homers and 78 plate appearances. Talking to some people who managed against him in the PCL last year. The power is real. Again, there's going to be strikeouts. He's not going to do a whole lot for you defensively. He's a third baseman by trade. He's really more of a first base DH type. He's just a big boy. I mean, he's, he's 6'5", 250 and all of it. But getting consistent playing time potentially as the DH I don't know. This is someone I think can provide a lot of power and, and really benefit from this. Before it was going to be him versus Christian Walker as the Diamondbacks' first baseman with Jake Lamb in there possibly. Um, Walker's really asserted himself as the first baseman, and truthfully, Jake Lamb will probably be the primary DH. But I think Kevin Crone goes from being you know a 4A slugger who just doesn't have a spot to all, at least on a National League team, to all of a sudden he has a path to consistent playing time. He still has to win it but at least the path is there where I don't think it was there before. Oh yeah. I'm with you hundred percent. I think, it, I think he's being um, overlooked as just a, you know, triple a Reno mirage, but I don't think that's the case at all. When you look at the heights he reached in the major leagues, like the, the number two um, barrel rate in the major leagues last year, if you, if you filter down to the lowest um, batted ball filter. Um, and then right behind him is Edwin Rios uh, of the Dodgers, who we both like as a hitter. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been on the Edwin Rios train for a while as a hitter. Um, I will say when I saw him in spring training this year, I thought the swing looked a little long. But again, it was early spring training, so you don't want to go too crazy off anything you see there, especially for hitters who are still getting their timing back and getting their swings in order. This guy's always hit. I mean, everywhere he's been, every level, he's always hit. And, and, and the scouts I've always talked to said, yeah, I, I think he can hit. He has electric hands. He's got really good feel for the barrel. His timing's really good. And, you know, we saw last year he came up, and I remember that 473-foot shot he hit in San Diego at Petco Park. I mean, the power is real. And, and just, again, really small sample size, but came up last year at 277 with a 393 on base, a 617 slug. 
four homers and 56 plate appearances. I mean, this guy can hit, has always hit, and for a lot of people projects to hit. I just wonder what it's going to look like with the Dodgers and their position player depth. There's so many guys ahead of him. You know, you look at the the first base left field depth chart and, and Matt Beatty's kind of ahead of him there. The Dodgers have a lot of DH options, whether that's moving Max Muncy around, you know, Jock Peterson, AJ Pollock, swapping them in and out of the corner outfield. There's a lot of different ways that can go there. Beatty as well. I, I feel like Rios is a little low on the pecking order for me. I still don't understand why a team like the Rangers hasn't acquired Edwin Rios in a trade yet. He's a better first baseman than any better first base option than anyone they have on their roster. And I would love to see this guy get a shot. Yeah, I agree. If you can hit, they'll find a spot for you. Do you see Edwin Rios mashing his way into semi-regular DH at bats, given everyone ahead of him? Yes, eventually. But he's the type of player where he kind of has to force the organization's hand by being out of options or some other roster mechanism that will force the team to play him. And the other thing, too, that will help him is if he shows he can play third base, Justin Turner is obviously one of the oldest mm-hmm. players on the Dodgers. You know, any extra days he can get off his feet will help him and the team in the long term. Rios is a third baseman naturally. And talking to some people in the Dodgers system, they've said over the years he's gotten better. A couple of people thought he got to average. Not everyone, but a couple of people. One of the things that has come up is just watch him during drills and practices he looks good over there. It's in games, you know, when it starts to speed up a little bit, things get a little dicier. But if he can really, really improve himself so that he's consistently at least average over there and is a viable option to play there two days a week, maybe three days a week, and, and give Justin Turner some days off, that will change the dynamic a little bit and give the Dodgers more options to get him at bats. Because right now, they don't really have a true third baseman that can back up Justin Turner, I mean, the closest you probably get is Will Smith as your backup third baseman. I mean, you can try Kike Hernandez there. You can try Chris Taylor there. But I mean, in terms of guys who have the most experience there, it's probably Will Smith. So if Rios can do that, that will change his outlook. But, yeah, it sounds like what you're describing is Rios needs to shadow Max Muncy and do everything he did. <laughs> yeah. Hey, not a bad icon if you're trying to bust out and become an all-star caliber slugger in your late 20s after being considered a little bit of an afterthought or quad A depth. Yeah, that's a oh, really yeah. good guy to follow. <laughs> I, I am, you know, I, I talked about this on the podcast with JJ, and this will surprise a lot of people who listen to me and know I'm more of a purist. I'm all for the DH in the National League. I, I'm a big believer put the best players on the field. And um, as much as it's fun watching Madison Bumgarner hit the occasional home run, and also we all remember Bartolo Colon's exploits against James Shields, over the course of a season, I'd rather see a guy who can mash and, and actually make an offensive difference. Um, for me, I'm, I'm okay with this move. Oh, yeah. I'm, you know, 30-plus years as a National League fan. It's time, you know. I'm, I've had enough of pitchers hitting. I've had enough of pitchers making outs. Again, anytime you have fewer automatic outs in your lineup, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I like I like one-run strategies, but not in the second inning. I'll put it that way. Again, right now, this is only for the 2020 season. However, there are expectations that this will become a permanent fixture of the game, whether it's through this year and into next year, or they reinstitute it after the collective bargaining agreement expires in 2021. Matt, the final rule change I want to dive in with you today and how it affects teams, the three batter minimum. Now, 
obviously there's been a lot of focus on what this means for the relievers, but you brought up a good point about how this can help out some younger prospects who kind of have some starter relief questions. Yeah, I kind of view it as a means of embracing reliever risk um, from the team's perspective. Because the way baseball has been developing pitchers, they've been developing five-inning, 100-pitch models, or one-inning, what, 20 to 30-pitch models. But there's probably some gray area in between for a pitcher who may not be able to go five or 100, but can give you seven to nine batters in an appearance, while also appearing in high-leverage spots, getting major league experience, which will be valuable to his development. Like, I would look at a prospect like um, Dave A. Garcia with the Yankees, you know, there's some reliever risk with him, which kind of pushes him down prospect lists because his stuff is incredible. But this could be an opportunity for him if the Yankees want to embrace that. You know, put him in there in the fifth or sixth inning to kind of bridge between your starter and your high leverage relievers. Yeah, no, he's definitely someone that that I think fits that role really well. Um, you look at a guy like Adrian Morahone as well with the Padres. To me, that's that's a prime example of a guy like this who. There's been injury issues. He hasn't shown he can turn a lineup over in the upper levels, yep. but it's electric stuff. Um, the Padres kind of tried this last year with him. He just was not ready for it, giving him a two-inning opener start, and it just it did not work. But, you know, if he comes into camp this year and shows improvement and stays healthy, again, you kind of see, okay, especially early in the season when we're going to have starters maybe only going four innings, they need to build up more. Mm-hmm. Maybe he can give you that two-inning bridge. That, to me, is going to be kind of an interesting dynamic to watch. And, and he's a guy, like I said, along with a guy like a Davey Garcia, who you mentioned, that really fit that. And you know, maybe that becomes their roles permanently moving forward. I think there's other pitchers we see every year who come up and start in relief and work their way into the rotation full-time. I do wonder if this will create that role in almost a, a semi-permanent fashion. Yeah, I would love to see there be an intermediary baseball role. I mean, I think we're, we're trending toward pitchers being allotted like batters, you know, times through the lineup. That, that's the latest thing. You know, so you'd almost think of attacking the first 18 batters, you know, the next nine, and then the final nine. You know, that could be kind of a way because you have to, in most games, you're going to have to go through the opposing lineup four times. And the three batter minimum. I mean, it really is going to create a lot of emphasis on the guys who can get both lefties and righties out, the guys who yep. have multiple pitches, the guys who have the arsenal to get through not just the full inning, but two innings, three innings. I am going to be curious to see how this changes relievers as a whole. Again, I don't think we're ever going to see the removal of one inning relievers. I think most teams, most games, the optimal outcome is still a starter goes six or seven innings and then one inning, one inning, one inning, game over. But... Mm-hmm especially early this season where we're going to have a lot of three to four inning starts potentially in the first couple of weeks. I'm going to be fascinated to watch how teams treat that because you're right. There's a golden opportunity for those guys to, to just establish themselves as bridge guys. And who knows, maybe this might bring back the long reliever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the, of course the other path they could take is the opener copy the raise idea. That's also a possibility. <laughs> I don't know if I would be as keen on putting these young guys in that, you know, because of the, you know, the first inning is such a, a high leverage inning. Is there anyone else you think can really, really benefit from this? I look at almost a guy like a Sixto Sanchez, who I think can start, but that's a kind of a more higher profile guy where there's been starter relief questions. Yeah, and it used to be the way to do it, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. Um, yeah, Sixto Sanchez is a good one. Uh, Luis Patino, perhaps, for the Padres would be another candidate to come in, uh, face the lineup one time, gain some experience. 
Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on others, but I do like the four examples we've come up with here. Yeah, Patino for me, I think would be more fun if they uh, used him in kind of like the way the Cardinals used Adam Wainwright when he first came up, make him a closer and just let him blow by guys. Obviously, the Padres have plenty of late relief closer <laughs> type options with Kirby Yates, with Emilio Pagan, but I still think it's a right? Uh, yeah, Pomerantz is going to be more of a, a setup type than a true closer. But yes, I mean, they have a lot of guys that they can use at the end of games. But again, just after watching what Patino did in the Futures game last year, and, you know, hey, that was, you know, an inning and two thirds, um, I think that could be a really fun possibility. I, he's still a starter long term, just in terms of breaking him in this year. That's the one I think that could be the most fun and the most electric. Yeah, I, I love the idea. I just don't know if major league teams will embrace it but we can hope. And again, there's, this is a short season. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see if teams just stick to what they know, how creative they're willing to get. And again, not all creativity is good. There's something to be said for, if you know something works, you know, sticking with it. This is going to be a season unlike any other. And I know we're all looking forward to it. Matt, any final thoughts just on these rule changes and how it's going to affect certain players and, and you know, any other guys you think are really, really going to benefit from this? No, my closing thoughts are just that it's. I'm happy to be talking baseball with you and having it, having a, the, the possibility of baseball in our future. Absolutely. Yeah, camps open up tomorrow. The uh, season is scheduled to begin July 23rd or 24th. We're going to have a lot of coverage of Baseball America. We'll be doing a lot of coverage of, of the upcoming season, uh, a season that's going to be unlike any other. And just keep it here at Baseball America for all the latest. Matt, thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you throughout the season. Thank you, Kyle. That'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, thank you to Matt Eddy for joining us. I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe out there. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.